Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, June the 28th, 2023. It is currently 2 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Get your thinking caps on. Are you ready? Ready to answer a question? I want you to tell me the five big forces that change the world. I want you to identify five big forces that changes the world in which you live and the, and the world in which I live, the world in which the Theology Central Studio lives, right? What are the five big forces that changes the world? I, I want you to really, really think about that. Now, I'm not going to wait and and let you, you know, you know, try to answer in the chat. But I want you to think about it. If you have a piece of paper, I would love for you to, to just grab it and, and grab a piece of paper and try to write down just as quickly as you can the five big forces that you say, those are the five big things that changes the world. Anytime the world is going to be changed, those are the five big, five, those are the big five things that changes the world. What would you identify? I really, like if I was doing this in front of a church, I probably would literally wait and let everyone write it down. I would just sit there and wait and wait. But in a podcast, then you have kind of dead air and that doesn't really work. But in church, you can just be like, hey, I'm going to sit here in the front pew and you guys come up and talk to your neighbors and find the five big forces that you believe changes the world. Now, the reason I'm asking this question is I have a news article in front of me entitled, The Five Big Forces... That changed the world. Okay. So obviously uh, I'm not very creative, but I thought we would talk about these five big forces that changed the world. Now they talk about a lot of stuff going on in Russia and all of that. I'm not, I'm and, and Putin and I'm not here to get into all of that. So I'm skipping down and then they have this headline, the five big forces that changed the world. Ray Dalio is the founder of Bridgewater Associates, the world's largest hedge fund firm with $124 billion under management. Forbes estimates his personal net worth at $19.1 billion. He has achieved such success by studying events and cycles across history. As a result, I follow his cultural analysis for reasons that transcend their financial implications. Dalio's new article for Time is titled, Why the World is on the Brink of Great Disorder. So they believe, hey, because this person is so wealthy and has has made you know so much of his successes by studying events and cycles across history, and he's been successful at doing that, we should pay attention to him. And he just wrote an article for Time that is titled, Why the World is on the Brink of Great Disorder. Now, I haven't looked up the original article. It may be something you want to look up today. Why is the world on the brink of great disorder? I want you, maybe if you can find the article, you may want to read it and do your own analysis of it. If you do, please email me and tell me what you think. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. But when I hear that, the world is on the brink of disorder. I I started having some very specific thoughts that I'll share with you in a minute, but you're going to have to wait to get to those thoughts. Because I want to hear what this supposed expert 
on cycles happening in culture and obviously been very successful in watching these cycles to the tune of his net worth is $19.1 billion. Isn't that crazy? Man, that is nuts. nuts. But all right, all right, here we go. Here we go. Here's what he said. All right, so he wrote this article, Why the World is on the Break of Great Disorder. In it, he identifies the five big forces that composes what he calls the big cycle that produces changes in the world order. So what changes in the world order are these five things. Are you ready? Number one, financial slash economic forces. So the first thing that changes the world is financial economic force. What will change things is financial and economic force. That changes things. That forces change because of financial and economic forces. You, you're going to have to adapt. You're going to have to change. Okay. I think, I think that makes some sense as, as the economy and as finances go, it will have a profound impact on different parts of society. I think that makes sense. All right. I won't, I won't. I want, I'm not going to go where I want to go yet. I'm, I'm just going to follow his lead first. And then me, a nobody will take his information and go in a completely different direction with it. That's okay. Here, here we go. Number two, the domestic order force. I wonder what he means by the domestic order force. We're going to read what he has to say about each one of these in a minute. So we have the financial economic force, the dom- domestic order force. Number three, the international war- world order force. Okay, I don't know exactly. I understand the financial economic forces, the domestic order and the international world order force. I'm not understanding that one so much. Acts of nature. Okay, I, I think we can probably see that. And then technology. Those are the five big forces that changes the world. Financial economic forces, the domestic order force, right? The domestic order force, the international world order force, Acts of nature and five technology. Now I'm going to read a little bit of description about each one of these. In each case, the U.S. is experiencing the transformation on a historical scale. So according to this article, if you take those five big forces, the United States right now is experiencing transformation on a historical scale that you and I are living in a time where transformation on a historical scale is taking place. I don't know if you realize it. I don't know if you notice it, but a transformation is happening. No, no. Remember, this is the Theology Central podcast. I'm going to look at all of this from a theological perspective here in a second. All right. Now he's going to describe these. Number one, with regards to finances, because of unstable, unsustainable debt growth, we are likely approaching a major inflection point that will change the financial order such that debt financial conditions could worsen perhaps very significantly over the next 18 months because of unsustainable debt growth. He says we're, we're, we're something big is going to happen in the next 18 months. I, I don't know. You, you can decide what you want to do with that. We're going to look at it from a theological perspective, but just keep that in mind. All right. So he's saying, hey, next 18 months are critical. Now, I've, I've been alive long enough to hear people say this constantly. Hey, the, the next Great Depression is going to happen. It's all the economy is going to collapse. And then, well, here we are in 2023. I'm not saying that something is not going to happen. I'm just saying that I want to look at it from a theological perspective. Now, next, he says domestic order. He believes we are headed into a type of civil war over the next 18 months in which populist extremes 
are in conflict while bipartisan moderates are for the most part quietly staying out of the fight. So I guess he's saying domestic order is like the order of things domestically here in the United States of America, and we're basically on the brink of a civil war. Now, I've been hearing that for years, that the culture is in the brink of a civil war. There's no question the culture has become much more divided and divisive and extremes and craziness, and it just seems like a constant F5 tornado you know, is constantly happening, all right? The international world order is witnessing a growing conflict between the United States and China with important elections in Taiwan next year. In his view, the odds of some form of major conflict are dangerously high. So he thinks we're going to end up in some kind of major conflict with China. All right, just keep that in mind. So we have major financial issues coming in 18 months. Domestically, a possible civil war. And then internationally, possibly some kind of conflict with China. This is all of his dire predictions of where we are headed. Next, acts of nature, including a generational pandemic, climate change, and El Nino phase of the climate cycle. So he's like, we're going to have some crazy things going on uh, in, in the climate. All right. Now, people can argue about climate change all day. Once again, that goes back to the domestic order and international order where everyone, nobody can agree on anything. All right. With regards to technology. There should be no doubt that generative AI and other technological advances have the potential to cause both massive pro productivity gains and massive destructions, depending on how they are used. The one thing that we can be sure of is that these changes will be greatly disruptive. Now, here's my question. Five forces that change the world, five forces that change the world. And that we are on, as he says in his article, the brink of great disorder. Let's say the culture has moved to the brink of disorder. Here's what I would ask you. How do those five forces influence the church, influence Christianity? Now, on one hand, what I would like to say is it does not impact us. The church is immovable because we have placed our feet on the immovable rock of God's word and nothing impacts us. We are not influenced by culture. We do the influencing of the culture. The culture is not influencing us. But just note, one of the big five forces that are changing the world, he does not say anything about religion, Christianity, the Bible, God. None of it is even mentioned. Because Christianity is no longer seen as a relevant force of cultural change. It's seen as some fringe movement that is more political than it is spiritual. But, but I want to, in fact, this reminds me a little bit of what I always say about 1 Corinthians. When I taught, what, three, four years through 1 Corinthians, I almost started every sermon saying, all right, everyone, what is 1 Corinthians? It is a letter written to a church located in a city. The city was influencing the church more than the church was influencing the city. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the church is located in a world where the world is influencing the church more than the church is influencing the world. That is a fact. Now, the church never wants to acknowledge that. But ask yourself, financial and economic forces are 
is the church moved, motivated, impacted by economic and financial forces? I will say it's constantly impacted by that. No matter how godly, no matter how much we want to say, churches know that. It requires money to pay the bill, the bills for the building, for the electricity, for staff, for everything, to do upkeep, all the things, all the ministry. It takes money. How do you get money? You need people. How do you get people? Well, you've got to, and I hate to say this, you got to provide the service they want. You got to provide them what they want, what they desire. They don't get what they want. They don't get what they desire. Money doesn't come in. Money doesn't come in. The church falls apart or they stop attending. Look, all you got to do is people just stop attending your church. One, money dries up and if nobody is there, the church goes away. So no matter how godly we want to be, economic forces impact churches. And just think about it. If there's massive upheaval in the economy, which impacts the people who attend your church, that's going to greatly impact how much money they can give, which greatly impacts how much money coming into the church, which can greatly impact that church in dramatic ways. So let's say we have some major economic upheaval over the next 18 months. What happens to churches? Many churches are already struggling economically because of how many people didn't come back after the pandemic. Or people's church attendance is now such a mess, you don't even know from one service to the next who's going to be there and who's not going to be there. You can't even get consistency in church attendance anymore. Now, you just start having massive impact on the economy. That impacts Christianity. No matter how much you want to say it doesn't, it does. To the domestic order. Now, what's happening in society, look, I've talked about this in the domestic order right now within our culture is a divisive one, a divided one where people are going to extremes. You've got craziness out there on both sides. And I believe once again, this has impacted the church. Don't you believe the church has not been impacted by this? The church talks like culture. You hear those same extremes. You hear that same divisiveness. You hear that same anger and hatefulness and and attacking your enemies. You hear the same politicizing of everything, even by those within the church. The church is being impacted by financial and economic forces, and the church is being impacted by the domestic order. Now, the international order, I can't speak uh, as much as as clearly as about the domestic, but I guarantee you uh, churches outside of the United States, they're being impacted by things as well. Acts of nature, you know, that that does have impact on the church to some level. It does show, you know, the craziness happening in society and obviously can impact people in your church if they're wildfires that burn down their houses, floods, tornadoes, you know, things are, people are impacted that way. And then technology, technology is going to have a growing impact on the church. We've already talked about this. Sermons written by AI, sermons preached by AI. Technology, when, when, when every church can go live on the internet 24-7 and stream, on one hand, that's a great monumental uh, tool that we can use to turn on the microphone and talk about whatever we want in the middle of the afternoon, late at night, early in the morning. We can preach, we can teach, we can pray, we can, we can do devotions, we can do Bible study, we can do seminary lectures, everything just live on the internet 24-7. Just go, 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 go. That's an amazing tool. At the same time, it starts making you ask yourself, well, wait a minute, how much money does it cost to maintain a building? 
It costs how much to maintain a building? Take half of that money. What could someone just do doing live streaming and broadcasting? Half of the money that it takes to maintain the church, someone can maintain a podcast and and pray, basically pay for that live stream for, for years. What it would take probably to maintain a church for one year. So that, there's, that technology is going to raise questions about the viability of meeting in person, the, the, the maintaining of an actual physical location. And then what, what, if AI is writing the sermons, do you even need a pastor? I mean, like you're going to have like some serious, like our people, the younger generation are going to grow up and they're not going to be like, ask a pastor. They're going to be like, ask AI. Don't ask a pastor theological questions. Don't ask a, a, a seminary graduate with a, a master's degree in religious education or theological studies or any of the degrees that I have. Why ask me? I don't matter. Just ask AI. I mean, the church is, is, is going to be influenced by these things. At the same time, we say we don't want to be influenced by these things, but we should. And these, and all of these changes, the society is going through a transformation and it's causing great disorder and upheaval and instability. Where do you and I as Christians find our stability? I can say this, as everything is changing, as all of this transformation is occurring, Christians need to find a way to step out of all of the chaos and say, whoa, 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 wait, everything is in disorder. Everything is in upheaval. The world is shaking. But here, right here, we as Christians, we can offer you something that is stable, that is unchanging. The word of God is unchanging. God is immutable. He does not change. Our God is unchangeable. Therefore, his word is unchangeable. Stability can be found in the creator. Stability can be found in his word. Stability can be found in the salvation he provided in his son. God does not change. His word does not change. And the salvation he provides does not change. That's where you can find stability in the midst of the chaos. But I don't know if the church is really offering a message of stability because it seems like we just find ourselves involved in whatever the fight and yelling and screaming about on any particular cultural issue on any given day. So I, I spent just a few minutes after I read that, that article, and I just wrote down one, two, three, four, five passages of Scripture that kind of talk about something referring to, about stability. The first one was Psalm 16, 8. For, for first one was Psalm chapter 16, verse 8. Psalm 16, verse 8. And I think different translations will make these maybe a little bit more powerful, but Psalm 16, 8. Here we go. Psalm 16, 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is my, as I, my right hand, I shall not be moved. Now, all, of course, all of these scriptures have historical context. This is a, 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 a for, I think, a Psalm of David, Psalm 16, 8. But so there is historical settings. So I want you to, you can look at all of these verses, but I want you to just, that idea that I shall not be moved. Because we have a faith in an immovable God, an immutable God who does not change, who is eternal, then should that not lead to stability for us? But why do we get our, we get tossed to and fro with the winds of culture? We get tossed to, why can't we find stability in, in this? We should be able to find stability in it. And in, in theory, we should. I, I think sometimes we, we get caught up in the same cultural you know, tre- 
wins, the cultural trends that everyone else finds, or we find ourselves being impacted in it. So there's Psalm 16, 8. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Let's look at another one. Let's go to Matthew 7. Now, this one has specific historical context in the Sermon on the Mount. We can have a long discussion about this. But Matthew chapter 7, at least we can read this. Matthew 7, everyone knows this. Verse 24, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. The rock is God's word. It's the truth of God's word. That's where we build our life. Now, we may not always, we're not always going to obey it. We're always going to fall short of it. But at least we know it's Hey, look, if God is unchanging, his word is unchanging. We stand upon the word. And then when the world is crumbling and falling apart, the, look, the, the, the flower fades. The earth will fade away. Everything else will fade away, but the word of God will abide forever. But look what happens. And everyone that uh, heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not should be likened unto a foolish man who which built his house upon the sand and the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Now, there's a lot of theological implications in these verses. I'm not going to get into all of that, but I just want you to realize that we as Christians, the storms are coming. There's forces changing the world. The United States is going through a one of the greatest transformation periods in U.S. history, and we're in the midst of it. And Christians, I feel, are getting pulled and thrown and tossed about, and we got to find that stability. It's Turning to God, we will but not be moved. Standing upon his word, the way we will not be destroyed when the storms come. We will not sink. Another scripture is Psalm, I think, 40, verse 2. Psalm chapter 40, verse 2. Psalm 40, verse 2. Psalm 40, verse 2 is right here. Psalm chapter 40, I'll start in verse 1. Um, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of a horrid, horrible pit, out of the miser- mis- miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. In salvation, does God establish, as it says here, establish my goings? He's placed us upon a rock. That rock is, is, is Jesus Christ. That rock is God himself. It's immovable. It's unchangeable. We, we stand there and he establishes my goings because I'm secure and stable in Christ. Now, let me read that again because I, I, I so misread that. Psalm chapter 40, verse one, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and establish my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. There should be some kind of joy and praise and stability, even though the world is crumbling around us. Next is Isaiah, I believe, 26.3. Again, the, these passages have very historical contexts and not trying to deny those or, or ignore those, but I want us to just get some basic principles here. 
Isaiah 26.3. 26.3. We read these words. Isaiah 26.3. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Peace, stability is found when we place our mind upon God, because he's the only stable thing in the universe. He is the only immutable thing in the universe is God. You can say God and his word. Those are the, I guess there's two immutable things, but God and his word are very much linked together. God is immutable. His word is immutable. You could argue the salvation he gives is immutable, but everything pertaining to God is immutable and unchanging. We are changing. The world is changing. It's not stable. And in Psalm 62, Psalm 62. Psalm 62. We read these words. Psalm 62. Truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. Today, I want you to think about all the scriptures that seem to give us some sense of stability and hope and a confusing, chaotic world. There are these forces that are changing the world. As Christians, we should not be moved by those forces. We should stand secure in the word of God and in God himself. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.